Hey everybody, welcome to the Surviving Culinarian, where we try to help you survive and thrive in the world of food. I'm Zach, and joining me, as always, and by I, I, by that I mean for the second time, is Jayla. <laughs> Hello. Hooray. So this week, um, we're going to be uh, talking about going through a recipe, which is something that uh, is, is one of those things that sounds super duper basic, but um, even after I've been cooking for myself for like a decade, I still fuck up sometimes. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but first, uh, I want to ask you, Geneva, have you had any interesting like food experiences since last time we did the show? Uh, I've actually had a uh, few fun things I've done at work. Um, cool. There are certain things that we we like to incorporate science into, and of course, I'm a rather large science nerd. Yeah. As you know. Um, and one of my favorite things that we do uh, for our our guests are is liquid nitrogen. We we use oh, that. Yeah, that stuff is so cool. <laughs> So one of our favorite things to do is do a intermezzo, which is basically a palate cleanser. Okay. Um, we like to use something that's really like acidic is to like, basically if you had something like super gargly in your like appetizer, this is supposed to like help clear out that like garlic and kind of start fresh. <laughs> okay. So we like to make, um, uh, uh, sorbets using okay. liquid nitrogen, which is a lot of a lot of fun and really cool and yeah. <laughs> cool. So like it it lets you make uh like so what is uh, making sorbet with liquid liquid nitrogen let you do that you like wouldn't be able to do otherwise or is it just faster? Uh well one you can use it using alcohol. Oh. So, um, as we know, like just you can put like vodka in the freezer and it won't freeze unless you buy. Uh, oh God, what was that stuff we used to get in college that froze that one time? <laughs> it was. Vodka. Oh, I think it was Aristocrat. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's not supposed to do that, but it will if you buy the worst, uh, the stuff that's bad enough. Anyway, continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um. But, so, do you know how cold liquid nitrogen is? Very cold. <laughs> okay. Yes, it is. It is very cold. Um, a lot of places actually use liquid nitrogen, surprisingly enough. But, and I, let me, I'm getting the, like, official um, temperature, temperature because it's, it's a little ridiculous, like, even just saying it out loud. <laughs> You're going to give it to me in, in Fahrenheit or Celsius here. <laughs> I can do both. Okay. <laughs> so in Fahrenheit, it's negative 321 degrees below. That's very cold. I was right. <laughs> yes. In Celsius, that's a uh, negative 196 degrees Jesus Celsius. Christ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we get shipments in and we have a whole tank and you have to go through like a lot of training just so you kind of like don't fuck yourself up um because like you can touch it and you may lose a finger like instantly it's it's one of those things um yeah you gotta be careful with that stuff so you can use it to to make out al like alcohol based uh, uh yes treats that's cool 
and it's dangerous because you it's like taking a little shot of delicious ice cream that you don't know is super boozy (laughs) cool that sounds fun yeah i'm i really like um that kind of stuff that there's a word for the people who are way into like the doing weird science stuff with food but i am drawing Uh, a blank on it it's um called uh oh goodness i'm gonna i always mess it up yeah um Yes. I I will uh gastro nope, that's not it. <laughs> I was gonna say gastroenterology, but that's that's, <laughs> that, that's, belly, that's belly sciences. It's not that. I mean it's actually it's pretty close. Um da, 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 well, I mean there's molecular gastronomy. That's what I yes, there you go. Molecular gastronomy. That's, yeah. That I, that's all <laughs> I find that and, fascinating. Oh, it's so much fun to do. And like, it's incorporating. uh, Okay. So uh, I think I said this in the first episode that my um, culinary degree is a applied science degree. And we do get to learn, you do get to learn all the stuff of like molecular gastronomy, but it's not like you learn the simple, like super basics of it. Right. Now, there are some, like, you can go up and beyond and learn a whole mess. There are so many books out there about it. And then also, like, chefs just kind of, like, reinventing just how you're doing things. Like, just deconstructed food that is just like, well, this is um, hot sauce. But they look like noodles. Yeah, yeah. I definitely see a bunch. There's one guy... I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but he made like a meat fruit. <laughs> it's, it looks like an orange, but it's actually like pate and and it uses like orange jelly on the outside to make it look like and, and it's actually like firm. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't even understand how you would come up with the idea for this, let alone how you did it. But cool. <laughs> you were literally thinking outside the box. Yeah. Like, you are taking everything and just kind of pulling it inside out. Like that's, that's how cool, like our science has gotten to that point where it's just like, um, yeah. Yeah. You should look up up molecular gastronomy if that sounds cool to you and check out some of the weird stuff people are doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I did one uh, that's not as exciting as making stuff with liquid nitrogen, but I went to a restaurant in Charleston, uh, called Macready's, which is a tasting restaurant, which I've never been to before. I've never been to one of those before. And if you haven't either, it's um, it's basically the idea is you go and you have a bunch of little plates, like one or two bites uh, of like, you know, 12 different things, basically. And one of the things that was so cool about that for me is kind of going along with what you said about using science to make make food into stuff that you, you aren't used to seeing it being or, or just do different things with it. One of the things that was so cool about it was um, some of the things that I ate there, I'm, I'm, we haven't really talked about this yet, and we, I kind of want to do one episode at some point about like picky eating. Um, I'm not a very picky eater, but I used to be. There was, oh, I was. Yeah. As a kid, I was the worst. Yeah. Um, there are still a couple things I don't, really like most of the time um one of those is cucumbers uh and 
the thing is, if you go to a place that, that is trying to give you a bunch of different experiences, you kind of just have, if even if you're picky, you sort of just have to roll with it, because the worst thing that happens is, ah, I don't like this one so much, but, it, you know, there's 12 more things coming. Um, but it means that I'm going to try everything uh, that they give me. So, like, they gave me, a, speaking of sorbet, they gave me a cucumber sorbet while I was there. And Ooh. it was friggin' amazing, and I, like, that's something that if I went to a regular restaurant and I saw it on a menu, I'd never order it, right? Because it's just not something that, that I would think I would like. But in this situation, I, I got to uh, try a bunch of stuff. You know, I also had an oyster, which I don't really like oysters very much, but they had, they had like, a lime reduction thing on it, and it was really good. So, like... If you ever get the chance to do something like that, especially with friends or, or like your partner or whatever, um, it was a really good time. And, and I think it's if you're interested in like kind of trying things that you wouldn't normally, that's a really good way to do that. Uh, it was neat. I also. Yeah. Have, do you know what Hoppin' John is? Uh, Hoppin' John? So no. Hoppin' John is this like it's a traditional Southern dish that is you're supposed to eat as like around the new year for good luck. Um, this is something my grandma taught me about. And like, I've heard a couple other old people talk about basically, but it's, it's like a cold black eyed pea and onion and smoked pork salad. And Oh it's, no! I think I have. It's really gross. The uh, the few times I've had it, they gave me a hop and John at this place that was amazing. So like again, it, it's just cool to be given something where you would normally like avoid it and then actually turn out to like it. So yeah, see, I think it's just called something different. They have other names, yeah. I, yeah. But, like, the ingredient sounds familiar. It's like, I do recall, how, like, hearing or trying something like that in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do. The, the yeah. I'm, is definitely a big, big one. A New Year's uh, New Year's. Yeah. I, I'm not, like, a military brat. So, I have traveled yeah. all over a place. So, North Carolina, like, though it was my home growing up, it was not, like. Right. I, I went to places and then just kept returning back to North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, so that was neat. Um, oh, so bef- so one more thing before we move into our uh, our main topic for the week, uh, we got a question on our Facebook page uh, that, that we wanted to address real quick. Uh, and I'll, I'll you have already answered it on Facebook, but I'm going to read it out so you can address it. Uh, okay. So this for, this is from Paul. And he and he said, uh, speaking of washing produce, which was our fir- part of our first topic in food safety, um, I was wondering about it because I heard this anecdote recently. A cook gets some mushrooms from the market that the chef ordered. The cook starts washing them to prep for the night, and the chef yells, "What are you doing washing the flavor off my mushrooms? Is it true that some produce, with some pr- produce, the elements that they pick up before preparation are considered to be a vital part of the flavor and texture?" I wash any ba- vegetable I've bagged myself, but I thought if it's in a sealed package, then maybe it's fine. Is that wrong? Question mark. So, uh, what 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 do you think about this this type of of thinking? Well, I think it's. I I giggled at it for a good <laughs> short minute there, but mostly because like I've been in places where. Um, they don't like to wash mushrooms and then I've been in places that are just very adamant about it. I personally like 
you don't need to scrub the mushroom, first of all. Um, on the Facebook post, I, I did uh, throw out some facts and stuff about mushrooms specifically, since, you know, that's kind of like a, a, one of those weird misconceptions uh, about washing mushrooms. Right. Um, and some stuff I actually had to look up because I actually didn't know. So I learned something. Yay! Uh, So mushrooms are about 90% water. Um, So that's why their cap is really like super spongy and they have a texture. And I think that's probably why I don't really like mushrooms (laughs) because of that spongy flavor (laughs) or uh, the flavor wise. I love mushrooms. The texture. they, They have a texture that I totally get why some people don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you don't want to like scrub, you don't want to submerge the mushroom because being that it is 90% water, um, that last 10% I I'm going to gather is that it's going to absorb. And that's when it kind of gets that like weird slimy film on top. Granted, it's not like there's nothing wrong with it. It's still like you can cook and everything like that. But if you have so much added like moisture to that fungus, uh, essentially, um, it's going to like however you store it, it's going to add to the cost of like it getting bacteria faster. All right, okay. Y- y- you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Um, as far as the flavor goes, you are not washing the freaking flavor off the produce. I'm sorry, like you sprinkle a little dirt into your like dish. I don't. You're not going to lose the the. The flavor, mushrooms and uh, bitter greens and um, other things that come directly from the ground, they're going to have an earthly taste. Right. Because that's where they were born and bred and raised is in the ground, unless, of course, you have hydroponics, and that's a whole different story. Still, hydroponics still has, like, an earthy taste to it. Yeah. I I didn't know the answer, but my initial thinking was like, well... It doesn't really make sense. Like the flavor of the mushroom is not just on the outside. Like if, if, if you were to, if that's how it worked, then that would mean like that the only the outside had a taste because you would just rinse it off. But that doesn't make sense. Like that's not how that works. (laughs) See, like I, I think of another example of like, um, a lot of uh, nutrients you can get from, like, the skin, such as apples and potatoes. Sure. Like, all those carry, like, vitamins that you might not get from the actual, like, fruit of the the vegetable. Right. And by fruit, I mean the actual meaty, like, the fair part. Um, so, like, with red potatoes, you know how some people like to keep a little bit of that skin on? Yeah. I mean, that's that's fine. It still has that earthy taste, even when you wash them. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you're still not going to wash away, um, the, the, the nutrients that you would get. Right. If you were to, like, overcook them, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yes. If you, if you overcook them you're going to lose your nutrients then. Um, And at some point I would like to actually get into uh, a topic um, (laughs) uh, vegan versus vegetarian. Okay. Sure. We can do that. Uh, 
Yeah, at some point. Because I actually have some questions, and I really want to take a poll on it. Okay. But we'll, we'll get into that um, topic a little bit later. Well, cool. So, yeah, if you have questions for us, please do send them into the, the Surviving Culinarian Facebook group or the Twitter, which is S Culinarian, uh, and we'll answer some questions for you. Yes. Uh, thanks to Paul for our first one. So, uh, following a recipe, um, I've kind of broken it down into, like, what I see as the, as the, the main areas, but, like, I'm sure that you will have lots of things to stop me and tell me I'm doing it wrong. So we'll <laughs> go through it and and uh, and see where we end up. But um, I think a lot most people would agree that the best thing, the first thing that you have to do with the recipe, no matter where it comes from, from a cookbook, um, from the internet. You know, I think most people who are home chefs at this point, unless you start to get really into it, you probably just Google how to make something. Um, no matter where it comes from, though, the first thing you got to do is read the whole recipe. Mm-hmm. Like, and and this is again why I said at the beginning of the episode that it's something that people screw up because I still don't do this all the time. It, it's oh, I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'm I'm the same way. I I've done that myself. Okay. I got a little too cocky. Right. It's either out of cockiness or like just. You know, people are busy. Sometimes you just don't have time or, or you forget. Like, it happens. But the problem is, so there, there's a bunch of reasons why you got to do that. Um, and, and I'll kind of go through that. So, so first of all, a lot of recipes are going to include, like, prep steps. Like, uh, you know, for example, even in the ingredients list, it might say, like, cooked chicken. Well, if I buy a bunch of chicken... And then I'm sit down and I'm starting to make my recipe. Then when I get to the step that says now put in the cooked chicken and I didn't cook it, then I have to stop and cook the chicken and then put it in. So like there's a lot of things that come up like that. Like, uh, you know, now add your diced onions. Well, shit, I didn't dice those yet. Um, That's one of the basic ones. Uh, There's also something that might affect people who are starting out more, which is like now put this all in a Dutch oven Oh shit! I don't have one of those. <laughs> if you if you get all the ingredients for a recipe without reading it and then realize halfway through that it needs like an immersion blender or a food processor or some tool that you don't have, um, and most of those things you can work around if you know beforehand. But if you get there and you realize you don't have something and you haven't figured out what you're going to do instead. It's really going to throw you off, especially if you're cooking, like actively cooking stuff at that moment. It's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. There's a, a a thing that we say in the kitchen, um, and it's always to get your mise en place. Um, and l- looking at it, like reading it, it looks like mise in place. Okay. <laughs> but mise en place means basically uh, your setup. Um. So basically have all of your stuff out like kind of like a shopping list of things like all of your equipment your bowls your knives your um margin blender if you have one (laughs) crock pot you know uh, forks temperature like your thermometers towels band-aids you know (laughs) that's if you're me mostly (laughs) but yeah Uh, um so that that's 
ultimately while you're reading just kind of make a checklist it's okay to like actually make a separate list uh while you're reading it because it i mean honestly it a recipe can be very wordy <laughs> yeah yeah I, the, so one of the other things i wanted to note about this step about reading through your um, recipe is and this is something that's really it, it's you're gonna figure it out as you go and it's a lot tougher when you start but Especially if you're not getting, say, say you buy a cookbook and every every recipe you make comes from that cookbook for your first like three months you're cooking. There are going to be certain things like assumptions that that book makes that are all the same within its pages because that's how you write a cookbook. So like if it says flour, you know, that cookbook might mean by flour like all purpose or or something like that like or when it when that cookbook says eggs it means large eggs when you start going on the internet to look for recipes you got to be a little more careful about stuff like that because one per one recipe writer might mean like so say a recipe writer says um add one can of diced tomatoes okay does that mean drained or not drained you're not going to know unless you have used that person's recipes before or they explicitly say in the recipe, which they might not. So there's there's one of the things about reading through this stuff is you might actually need to dig a little bit and figure out, well, this this place that this recipe comes from, how do they do things and what does this mean in context with their other stuff? This is something I really struggle with, too. <laughs> Uh, now, is there any kind of terminology that you are unsure of? No, it's not. Kind of look up. It's not that. It's just that, like, I know that sometimes. So, like, for a long time, I had uh, I was getting my recipes from like uh, one this magazine called uh, Clean Eating. They had a bunch of good recipes in there, and I was just using a bunch of those. And then I started branching out, and I noticed that, like, where whereas Clean Eating. For, for instance, as we talked about, like, the cooked chicken, uh, if I needed to add, like, shredded cooked chicken, it would for sure always have a step that says, okay, now take your chicken and cook it and then shred it and then add it. Uh, other places aren't all going to do that. It's just place to place. That's all mm-hmm. I mean. Is is not necessarily, like, and some people might also use different terminology depending on, like, what country they're from or, or you know. Well. I mean, even some sometimes um, professionally trained cooks and chefs will use terminology that some household um, cooks do not know what sure. it means. And um, at this point, like I could like, you know, I can recognize like those words. And if anybody had any questions about them, I could uh, explain to them more in detail than if. Uh, you know, having to spend that time to just like look it up, which honestly, looking it up was is uh, a good thing. There's um, right, which is another reason you read it first. If you don't know a word, go ahead and look that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay. There's a great um, dictionary that I own because there are some words like like I said, I am terrible with foreign languages. Mm-hmm. Absolutely abysmal, and a lot of culinary terms are in French. Yeah, that I butcher. <laughs> <laughs> so there are times that I'm just like, okay, I've heard that word before. Please spell. 
<laughs> so I can look it up. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely something I've come across. So so yeah, if you know, just just be aware of like the assumptions that the recipe is making in terms of what different things mean that that might uh, be different from place to place. And then the last thing I have uh, for this part is is kind of what you were saying, which with uh, if there's terms you don't know, go ahead and look them up. Um, there may also be techniques that you have never done before, which is another reason you want to read your recipe beforehand. If, if so, you know, say you get to a part and it's like, okay, now butterfly this chicken. And that's not something that's super hard, but if you've never come across that term before and don't know what it is, you want to make sure that you you've looked it up and, and know how to do it before you get to that, that step in the, in the, uh, in the recipe. Oh, my favorite is uh, tussling. Tussling? <laughs> Do you know what tussling I is? I don't know tussling. Okay, it's super easy. It's when you basically um, tie up your protein. Like you're going to tussle your chicken. Meaning you're going to tie up the leg so that when it cooks, it doesn't like flail out. Yeah, yeah, you okay, know? gotcha. So I, that's I called tussling. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word. Got it. Tussling. Yeah. Hustling. Yeah, I've I'm trying I'm struggling to think, but there are definitely sometimes I'll come across a word and be like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and usually it is just some it's something like fairly easy, but it's just I, I've never heard it that way. You can also I, I, Go ahead. Yeah. No, you're you're right. And, and you know, sometimes cer- certain words like completely elude me. Like they're Everybody has their own technique because stepping back into that one part of our conversation is that nobody shares really the same technique unless it's like kind of like the ultimate basic because then you can branch out and then create something different, but using the same old formula. So even though one the book says to do that technique and maybe you found something better that works in your favor instead, you know, it's okay to play around with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always good to, to try to figure out the best way to do something. And, and, you know, some, sometimes like, yeah. So speaking of butterflying, some things, which if you don't know, butterflying is basically just like you cut down the, how do you describe it? You cut like, the width of a chicken so that it's two thinner pieces basically, or well, a chicken, anything. Um, but some people might say like pound it flat instead. There's, there's always like different ways to achieve the same thing. So just well, with butterfly specifically. So you're taking like a breast that maybe is thicker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you're, this is raw, mind you, you don't, want to do it when it's cooked um the raw chicken breast and you want to cut uh the 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 width of it so it's not quite two pieces it's still one piece but it's just longer and essentially bigger but thinner right yeah and then you want like basically pound it out a little bit and that's what she said, by the way. <laughs> I mean, we were gonna, we were talking about pounding a thick breast for a while. Yeah, was gonna you know, <laughs> it is what it is, and I have that kitchen humor, so. <laughs> so yeah, so so that's kind of 
that's a lot of the reasons that you want to make sure that you read your recipe first. You just, you want to know what you're going to be asked to do. Make sure you can do it. Make sure you know what it all means and, and make sure you've kind of got stuff ready. Your, your mise en place, as uh, Geneva said. So yes. Your next thing, um, you know, uh, like I said, you want to read your recipe first. And that means like before you even go shopping, because again, uh, if you're going to go out and buy your ingredients for your recipe, you want to make sure that you can actually use it all and, and know what you're doing. So once you've got that ready, you know, uh, go to the store <laughs> <laughs> and buy your stuff. And, and the, the, there's a couple things to note about that. Um, and some of these are like cooking tips, but some are just sh- shopping. But <laughs> one of the it's things- all part of the same thing, really. Yeah. I mean... Um, one of the things I've, I've learned that I, I've, I have trouble with, um, that, uh, is something that's just practice, but some people are also just better at it than others is, is, um, knowing like, uh, volumes and, uh, like ratios and stuff just by looking at something. So that comes in time. Yeah. So what I mean by that is sometimes you'll find a recipe that says, uh, uh, you know, Three potatoes. Okay, well, as we all know, <laughs> even if it says a breed, if it says three sweet potatoes, we've all seen sweet potatoes that are as big as our arm, right? And then we've seen mm-hmm. ones that are, uh, like, you know, a fifth that size. So, like, when you are reading a recipe, sometimes you're going to have to try to figure out, well, okay, if it says three sweet potatoes and then the rest of the ingredient list is this – What's and sometimes it'll say large, medium, but even then, you still got to figure out what that means. Like, how much of this is there supposed to be in relation to that? I had a recipe fairly recently that called for two bunches of kale. Um, <laughs> if you have used kale before, it's a really huge, leafy vegetable that's that's pretty, or, or not vegetable, it's a green that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty hearty. Um, and the, the bunches of kale at, at Harris Teeter, the grocery store nearest to me, uh, basically I ended up using like half of one bunch and that was still too much as opposed, and I bought two. So like, it's just, like you said, it's something that's going to take you a little bit to, to get used to, but like it, it, if you can find a recipe that gives you more specific volumes, that's great. But a lot of times you can't cause it's well, good. also, I think it also depends on the volume, like volume, <laughs> um, the uh, the amount of like food you're making for however many people you're right, feeding. Right, yeah. um, that also plays into the whole uh, figuring out, you know, how much stuff. And generally, a good recipe, whoever wrote it. Um, will actually put how much that dish yields. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also put to put in perspective if you're having a hard time for such as like um like a starch and it's not as specific as you would like it to be. Look at how look at the very end of it and see how much it yields. The recipe yields. Yeah. Um, I think that would kind of help give a hint to how much you may want to put in there and also it could be a preference thing um because you know maybe you just really fucking like sweet potatoes man (laughs) yeah yeah you can always go up or down it's just like 
it, it's good. So, have I told you the pierogi story? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay, so if you don't know what a pierogi is, it's like a little dumpling that's, um, like, fried, and usually it's stuffed with potatoes and maybe, Delicious. Che- maybe cheese or meat, but always potatoes. They're really, really good. Um, uh, it's, it's a fantastic little Polish dish. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I, I love them, and, and we I decided I wanted to make some, and I found a recipe that, that said, okay, um, get this many potatoes, make your filling with it, and it'll yield 20 pierogies or something like that. Um, it made about 120 pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> I was cooking them all day, and because you have to fry them in a pan, like you can't do that many at once. It took me hours and hours, and it was all because the number of potatoes they said I used that many, but they were way bigger than the potatoes the person who wrote it expected, basically. So it's just something you got to be cognizant of and, and do your best with. It can it can spiral out of control sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's one thing. Uh, as I already mentioned, sometimes in a recipe it'll call for cooked rice, cooked chicken, whatever. Um, and if, if it does that, go ahead and, and prep that ingredient before you start cooking. How many times, in, in, even in back in college, I would like make something uh, and then get to the part where I was supposed to add it over cooked rice, and I didn't, hadn't done that yet. So I had to stop <laughs> and cook the rice. And, well, know. you also have to be careful. Like The things that takes the longest time you want to start first. Right. Uh, generally with some recipes, they generally, they try and start with like <clears throat> either like if you have a roast, you want to get that started before you do the vegetables because the vegetables will take a lot shorter time than like your roast would. Yes. Um, or if you're doing, um, see here, steak, at, steak and potatoes, uh, you want to do your potatoes first, depending on how you want your potatoes like cooked. If it's going to be mashed, that's a little bit longer process to do because you got to boil your potatoes. You got to mash your potatoes and those can generally sit for a, a period of time versus like your steak. Your steak's going to take like two seconds, yeah. depending on how much you like it, uh, like it cooked. Um, I did post a thing on Facebook asking how, how do you like your steak put, yes. uh, cooked? Um, so that's a little fun thing to like and comment on the Facebook, uh, the surviving culinary, of course. Um, but like I said, like your, your steak can take like two seconds versus the five step program to make your mashed potatoes. Right. Especially if you uh, do the searing method of steak where that I did where I broke my microwave. Cause I, <laughs> did I tell you this story? I can't remember. Uh, ho- ho- wait, 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 wait. You, you did what with your microwave and a steak? Okay, Shoot. so if you haven't, mm. uh, if you've mm. never heard of this, there is a method to cook steak. Um, this, this is my judgment like sounding right here. I can mm. see your Mm-mm. face in my head, even though I can't see it. <laughs> Um, so if you can't, I like to grill my steaks, but sometimes you can't. Um, and one of the ways to kind of replicate that nice char on the outside, uh, that I read about was you get a a cast iron pan, you get the pan really, really hot, and then you put oil in the pan and then you put the steak in there and you sear it on both sides and it's supposed to take like four or five minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have now done it and it's great. 
The problem is I used and I and also this is actually ties into our this ties into what we're talking about because uh, get the ingredients on your list. Do not use a substitution unless you have checked that it's a good substitution for that recipe. Because <laughs> if you use olive oil in doing this, the smoke point is too low and you will cause a big fireball in your uh, kitchen, which is what I did. <laughs> and I have one of those above the, the oven range microwaves and I actually melted the plastic on that microwave because oh, we, had to, we had to replace it. So that's another well, thing. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a fun topic to go over is um, oils. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be another fun topic. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, actually that totally does tie into what we were talking about is at when, by in getting your ingredients, if you, if you can't find something that's in your ingre- uh, ingredients list, that's probably okay. Um, but you can go ahead and Google for a speci- uh, a replacement, um, a different type of oil that's got a similar smoke point, for instance, or something simpler like, um, you know, I can't find this weird specific like raspberry vinaigrette. What could I use instead? What other kind of vinaigrette could I use? Um, there's there's usually if you just Google the word and replacement, you'll find something. Um, Depending on where you live, more exotic ingredients might not be available. So if you find a recipe on like, you know, a, like a kind of frou-frou cooking site, um, you might not be able to find that. And that's okay. There's almost always something else that'll do. But you, but look it up. Don't just guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think and I don't think I've ever like seen um, gator in North Carolina, you oh. you probably see it in South Carolina a bit. Yeah, every, every, but every once in a while, I I have now been in Florida for almost two years, and I I am determined. I'm going to try Gator. Damn it, <laughs> that's a, this is going to happen. I don't know when, but I'm going to try it because I, it's like on my bucket list of things. Of like, all right, all right, and like I said, I am actually generally picky eater. I've gotten a hell of a lot better over the years so i don't i think gator is just gonna be my next like i'm gonna tackle this i have had some bizarre foods yeah that's always fun well one of the things about being a picky eater is that when you when you cook for a while you you start to realize like and i'm not saying that everybody is gonna like everything sometimes you just don't like stuff and that's okay but some, sometimes you realize, like, oh, I don't like, you know, I don't like this thing, like, by itself. Or I don't like this thing, like, in this specific way. But you mm-hmm. may like it as part of something. I know plenty of people who don't like raw onions, but are fine with onions cooked in stuff. So sometimes yes. it's just, like, you, you don't actually hate that food. You just haven't maybe had it a way that, that, that you like before yeah and and, you know a lot of that has to do with also like again the texture i i like mushrooms um there are only like specific ones that i will like actively like go out of my way to eat and that's like portobello because that's uh close to a meaty mushroom as it's gonna like reminds me of is like a a nice like meaty thing (laughs) steak or something like that yeah, versus like, you know, button mushrooms. I just feel like I'm 
chewing on an eraser sometimes. It's really <laughs> weird and slightly squeaky, and I don't really. I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um. So the the next one I was going to say is um. So, as we said, when you're looking through the recipe, uh, a lot of times you'll you'll get prep instructions like chop the chop the onions, dice the onions, or whatever. Cook this. Go ahead and do that. The other thing that might save you some time that's something that I've learned is if you're cooking a recipe, uh, like say like a like a jambalaya or something um, that has like a Cajun spice blend. So the recipe calls for six different spices. If you go ahead and measure those out and just put them in a little bowl, as long as they're supposed to all go in at the same time, that's going to save you time. And the other thing is, especially if you're, you know, if you don't do that and you get to the step where it says now add in all these spices and you have something actively on heat and you need to then go measure out six different spices that you have to find in your spice cabinet. Don't be in that situation because <laughs> I used to do that all the time. Just go ahead and do it before you start, and and that's going to be make it a lot easier. Um, See, uh, this, this is where like also those substitutions can come in because a lot of places, like uh, a lot of markets, have um, spice blends that are very specific to a dish that you may be looking for, right. such as like you know the Cajun seasoning for a jambalaya or or anything like that. Some, uh, some places have it already like a pre-mixed little canister where you don't have to buy each individual thing because that can get expensive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes... <laughs> I, I'm trying... I can't remember what it was. I I think I made like, a, uh, like an African dish recently that called for a spice blend that I couldn't find uh, as a blend. And I ended up mm-hmm. having to get like four jars that I'm sure I'll use once again (laughs) like so if you if it's stuff that you're going to use a lot go ahead and get a jar of it but yeah if it's if if it's things you're not going to use it's okay to get a pre-made blend that's not going to hurt anything Uh, yeah but yeah so that's okay too uh yeah so that's kind of what i have for uh, for ingredients um make sure again like substitutes are fine just do a little bit of research um I don't think there are, there's also something to be said for like, if you have dietary restrictions or allergies or or things, um, I'm allergic to apples. So anytime there's a recipe that has apples, I just put a pear in there and it's usually fine. Uh, not always, but usually. So that stuff is okay to do too. I'm allergic to bananas. And I, I just stay so clear, super clear of those. <laughs> Except I think uh, our reactions are very different from each other. Yes, that is true. <laughs> so you break out into hives, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I go into anaphylactic shock. Yours is worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My uh, best friend, she, uh, back in North Carolina, um, I, I lived with her for uh, the last bit of my um, culinary school career. And, you know, she knew that, like, I was a night student. So before she would go off to her job, um, she made a banana bread in hopes that, like, she'll have everything clean and, like, super, like, sterilized by the time I got home from um, my night class. And then all of a sudden I I got home early and she's like, (gasps) don't go in the kitchen. I'm like, what? 
Oh, oh, I smell it. It smells. I can appreciate the smell. <laughs> and then I ran and hid upstairs in the bedroom until everything was like sanitized and sterilized. One of my first dates I ever went on in high school was to the North Carolina State Fair. And the girl I was on a date with was like, here, try this. And I drank it. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting flavor that I've never really had before. And it's because she had given me a banana smoothie. And mm-hmm. then on our on our date, we had to, <laughs> as high schoolers, we had to go over to the, like, first aid tent they have set up at the, oh, no. at the state fair and get me a bunch of Benadryl, which I'm sure was very fun. And oh I, no! Yeah. <laughs> so Benadryl's oh god, Benadryl makes me a zombie. <laughs> yeah, a- Adrian, my wife turns just like immediately passes out when she takes Benadryl. Yes, no, I I feel her her pain there. Like I, people are just like, "Are you okay?" It's like you need to send me home right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, do not let me drive. Do not let me do anything. Just put my ass on the couch and leave me alone. So we've <laughs> talked about uh, reading the recipe. We've talked about getting your ingredients together. Um, and so now you should basically have everything set up. You got your mise en place and now cook. So mm-hmm. the, the thing about most recipes, if they're a well-written recipe, you want to do everything in order because... The recipe should have a flow to it, uh, you, and you kind of mentioned this earlier. It should tell you to cook, start the thing that takes the longest first. Um, if a recipe is well written, you know it'll start with the potatoes or whatever it is that takes the longest, and then it'll tell you to throw those green onions in at the very, very end, um, mm-hmm. because it wants to make sure that 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 stuff is is that you don't you know mutilate the those onions by cooking them for the same time as you cook your potatoes or whatever so like follow the recipe in order sometimes it's okay to like multitask if uh you know if like one thing is in the oven and the other one's on the stovetop or whatever it's okay to do both of those at once but try to be aware that if it's well written you're going to be kind of it should be in order also yeah absolutely um also some recipes um as well as giving the yield they also should tell you hey this is your prep time yes and then this is your cooking time so i i actually have a question about that do you find those to often be accurate (laughs) for you Uh, (laughs) uh sometimes not all the time because one like depending on the size of your protein like you're not always going to get like if the recipe calls for a you know five pound chicken or turkey um and you can only find eight pound you know that's gonna change your cooking time yeah it's it's gonna take longer to to roast it in the oven. So it really just kind of also depends. Um, also, like you know, I I can cook, but uh, uh, cut vegetables fairly quickly. Yeah, this, this is kind of so my prep time might be a bit shorter than like yours. This is sort of where I was going with this, which is that. I find my prep time is usually like two or three times as long as whatever the recipe. Well, you with. you know, safety first, yeah, because you don't want to rush it and like you know chop a finger off. 
there there's nothing wrong with having a longer prep time yeah. <laughs> maybe not so much at work if you're right. in the industry right. um like, you may need to do some practice and you know when i was in culinary school that's one of the things that they they harped on is go buy a bag of potatoes and practice your cuts yes because the more you practice the faster you get at the precision and eat you know it, it just it, it helps it really does the more you you cook things at home and you yeah. have like a knife and you're doing things you you really start getting like comfortable and um uh, you're you're you have an extension yeah like you will be able to use your knife in ways that i didn't think i could do that before now yeah. i can yeah I, I have gotten a lot better but yeah the, the cook time though usually should be pretty close because you're using a specific heat <laughs> You're, and it can, like you said, if you're using more protein or, or whatever, it can be, mm -hmm. it should be a little, it should be at least a good gauge of how long things are going to take. Um, so, so yeah, uh, do that. And then the other thing I was going to note in this is if you've, you know, if you prepped, like we talked about, hopefully there won't be any surprises, but sometimes things come up, um, you know, you get to a step in the recipe that you, you misread the first time. Uh, you don't have an ingredient ready, something like that. Um, it, it depends on what you're cooking, but if you can, if something like that happens, go ahead and pull what you're cooking off heat or, or turn it down so that you won't burn anything while you, or, or, you know, set anything on fire, for instance, while you try to, to, to go ahead and, and fix that. Because it's, it's better to, end up having it take a little bit longer because you had to, to take a little bit of a break than to ruin everything or, or cause damage because you were trying to, again, trying to make a spice blend while you're searing chicken or whatever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, now, so, some recipes are, they do throw you some curveballs. I mean, not there's no doubt about that. Not all recipes are written the same. So, you know, even while you're doing the directions, even checking like the um, ingredients and, and whatnot, you know, it just, it just never hurts to take like little extra notes, like on the side. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, if you were to see my, my culinary books, like they have notes, like I really should have used sticky notes and just stuck them in there. But I wrote, I actually wrote in the book, I've highlighted, um, I am a visual learner. So reading, uh, recipes in school was actually not the easiest task for myself. So that's why I, I would write notes even if it was the same thing in the book or I would highlight it because then I like in my brain, I see that highlight. It's like, Oh, I need to pay attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I... So, but I mean, also like if this is something that you're experimenting and you're doing this at leisure, like don't feel rushed to get it perfect the first time yeah. you practice, Yep. practice, sure. practice, practice. Um, and then uh, the last thing I'll say is, like, this is actually part of ingredients, but I just thought about it again. Uh, some recipes aren't going to tell you exactly what it's talking about. So, so for instance, I recently uh, ran across a recipe that, that just called for 
uh, shredded cooked beef. Well, I think most people are aware that like beef is pretty broad. <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's <laughs> there's lots of different things that could be. Um, if you come across something like that, where or, or you know, if if you do find a recipe that, and this shouldn't happen very often because it's important that you're specific. But but if you do come across a recipe that says like beans or you know <laughs> white beans or something that's not a specific thing, just look at this. This is something that also you'll figure out in time. But like, look at what the dish is. And try to figure out the thing that makes the most sense with that. Because, like, so if, for for instance, shredded beef, the, there's a couple cuts, like, roasts that make the most sense for that. But I, I don't always know those things because I like to follow my recipe. So I had to do a little bit of research and figure it out. So you, you can if, if there's something weird like that that's not specific enough. But just uh, just look around and you should be able to figure it out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else about recipes, Geneva, that we haven't really talked about that you wanted to bring up? Oh, uh, no, I think we got, got it pretty good, pretty covered. Cool. Is there, um, is there anything really like different about following a recipe at work that then, than at home, like that, that's a really different experience that would be kind of cool to talk about or, uh, Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so I I work in banquets. So everything's at a very much grander scale in volume. Um, and it really just kind of opens up my like perspective of, I don't know if I know how to make smaller dishes now because of that. <laughs> um, uh, I think that part is what you really need to pay attention to when you're doing recipes. Um, generally, like I, I, when I cook for myself, I actually do make a lot more, uh, like the full, like, even though I'm one person, I will make like, you know, the five person <laughs> course, but that's mostly for, uh, the fact that I can pack it away and store it and eat it later. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, uh, other than that, yeah, working working in banquets has kind of skewed my ability to make a singular dish, which, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this now, making a single tasting dish is so much harder than making, like, a oh, grand display. Yeah, I... I... We haven't talked about it, but uh, we might eventually do like a meal prep episode or something like that. The way Mm -hmm. I cook is I make like two or three big meals for the whole week because it's so much easier than making like hats off to people who cook every night. I don't fucking know how you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially like a diverse thing, but like I am a huge fan of leftovers. Yes, me too. So leftovers are like hell. I I make a uh, <laughs> a a lasagna that's like this <laughs> the size of my table, and yes. I freeze it. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> or like my chili. Yeah. Like my best friend, she'd be like, "Are you making your chili? Are you making? Can I? Can you send me some?" 
please. <laughs> so she'll have it like frozen in her freezer. So whenever she's ready, she can just take out a, a quart of it. So it, uh, my wife is a is a good cook, but I cook all the time. So she's like, I have forced her to like lose some of her skills just because she doesn't practice. Um, so now when I go out of town to, to help her make it a little bit easier, I'll do like, we have an instant pot, which if you don't know what that is, it's, um, it's like a crock pot, but, uh, or a pressure cooker. Um, but, but usually you can, because it's a, uses pressure, you can cook meals pretty quickly. So what I'll do is I'll just like chop up everything that to go in like a stew or something that can be pressure cooked and just put it in a bag and freeze it. And then tell her, like, literally just put this in the Instant Pot and turn it on. <laughs> and that if I had time to do that all the time, not just when I'm out of town, I would do it. Because it's awesome to just be able to have those, like, leftovers. Or not even leftovers, but, like, pre-cooked stuff ready to go. It's, it's nice. Oh, yeah. I don't have an Instant Pot. I do have a giant crock pot. Hell, yeah. Those are good, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's our recipes. Uh, let us talk about our food review for this week. Um, this week we're going to be talking about lean cuisine. Uh, so we're, last week we did a soup. This week we're doing a, um, a frozen meal or a TV dinner. Uh, mm-hmm. did, uh, did we talk about the TV dinner history or did we just do soup last time? We just did soup last time. So I, looked, I believe. It, looked it up. The first TV dinner was made in 1953 uh, by Swanson. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you are not aware, microwaves did not become um, really like commonplace in households until like the mid to late 70s, which means you used to put your uh, TV dinners in the oven, which is funny because I had didn't have a microwave for a while. Uh and I found out you actually really can't anymore, most of them. Most <laughs> of them are in plastic that if you put in the oven is going to melt. So don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so this is a uh, Lean Cuisine, which I'm sure most people are familiar with, the, the brand. Uh, they also have a bunch of different sub brands. This is the Comfort one, which is basically them trying to take like uh, favorites and, and make them a little less bad for you, whether they succeed is up to debate. Um, and this one is uh, chicken carbonara. So that's uh, chicken with fettuccine, peas and bacon in a cream sauce. Um, hmm. Do you want to start or you want me to go first? Oh, <laughs> uh, why don't you go this time? Okay. Um, so I thought this was pretty good overall. Uh, my kind of different things I wanted to say, the chicken was was not dry, which a lot of times, for whatever reason, uh, especially microwave chicken, comes out dry. I assume that has to do somewhat with the curing process we talked about last time, uh, about mm-hmm. how they use pres- preservatives to, uh, to keep them fresh, but it can kind of keep them from picking up moisture. Um, I, did, I found it pretty moist and tasty. Uh, the sauce was good. Um, last time we talked about how even though that soup had like 60% of your entire daily salt content, <laughs> it still kind of tasted like it needed salt. Yeah. I didn't feel that way with this. Um, this felt like it was fairly well spiced. It's got some good salt and pepper in there. Um, I could taste the bacon, uh, and it didn't have like that, even though it does list uh, smoke flavor 
on the ingredients list. It didn't have that like fake smokiness to it that I didn't like last time. Um, the noodles were like kind of gluey, which is tough. That that happens sometimes with with. I, I I believe those were egg noodles, so yeah. Yeah, they they kind of stick together a little bit, and they still they weren't like mushy, so they weren't yeah. awful, but they were a little like sticking together, which is a little frustrating. Um, and the peas were pretty good too. They the peas also were not like super mushy, which a lot of times with these types of things, I feel like everything kind of gets mushed. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess because it's frozen and then re, uh, reconstituted. But uh, the thing I mostly, my biggest problem with it was the composition. Uh, kind of like we talked about last time where there just wasn't much of like the meat or other things. Uh, this is similar. This is like 90% noodles, basically. Um, there was enough to cover sauce to cover everything at least. So it's not like you were getting just dry noodle bites. But um very little chicken, and then like most most bites didn't have bacon or peas, so it's just a lot of uh, a lot of noodles. What did you think? Um, I'm gonna start with like the packaging. Okay. Um, like you said, the it's the uh, comfort food or the linguine comfort series, and uh, it's it's different than like some of the other one uh, other packagings because as you said earlier the uh, Lean Cuisine has like various different kinds and comfort so it has like this like kind of a homey wood feel like there's a plate with the chicken carbonara that I guess is what it's supposed to look like there's way too many pieces of chicken on that picture I'm just putting it out there now um, and then you know. But it's it's the packaging's nice, like it it looks inviting. Um, then of course you know reading everything the white meat, which it it the couple of pieces that was there was indeed white meat and it wasn't dry. Um, I do agree with the the seasoning, the flavor. I will say though that the sauce was a little chalky. Oh okay. Yeah, I could see that a little bit. Yeah, I I don't know if it's because of the it being like a, a reheat process. Now, here is one of the biggest culinary rules ever, which I mean, some of us don't pay attention to it at home, but that's but in the restaurant business, you are only allowed to reheat food one time, one time oh, only. Yes, I've heard this too. Yeah. Yes. So I'm thinking that during this time when they started making this product in the first place, they, I don't know if they like really like looked into like how it reheats again, you know, because essentially the way I, I look at this is that you're just eating a company's leftovers and that sounds terrible. Like just saying that out loud. <laughs> But, yeah, it sometimes some leftovers just doesn't translate well as leftovers. Yeah. You yeah. know? And I worry that sometimes some of these pasta dishes that has, like, a cream sauce does not translate well. And it kind of comes across as, like, chalky. It's just tough to, yeah. The cream-based yeah. stuff definitely seems like it's extra tricky to get right, so... 
It's yeah. I mean, I'm so sure if you've had like a Stouffer's mac and cheese, you know that like <laughs> there even I feel like um, even the same brand sometimes it's like this one was good. This one was like weirdly grainy for some reason. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like that stuff's really hard to get right. Yeah. Uh, other than that, like I do agree with the the noodles. There was a you know it, there was a lot of noodles. Um, I thoroughly actually I thought the peas were the best part about the dish. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, they were um, good, right? I was surprised. Yeah, <laughs> it, like it didn't seem like your typical can can like peas either. Like I feel like they these peas are actually fresh or yeah. fresher. <laughs> so. You know, I'm also, like, looked at the steps. There's prep, cook, stir, cook again, enjoy. Yeah. You know, so easy enough to follow. Um, the <clears throat> the nutrition in the back, it said 22 grams of protein. I, I generally, that's one of the first things I look at is um, sodium, protein, and sugars. Yeah. Um... And the 22 grams of protein actually kind of surprised me a little bit. It's like, oh, all right. You know, maybe it'll help me feel fuller to that extent. And then um, looking at, like, the actual, like, ingredients, if I can pull it up. There we go. Um, You know, you got the semolina flour, which is, and wheat gluten, which makes up the, um, the pasta. Right. Uh, skim milk, white, actual white meat chicken, which is great. Like, I like that the fact that they have white, white meat chicken, because a lot of places that will advertise white meat, uh, it's not actually white meat. They just don't think you can tell the difference. Um, tapioca starch, rice starch, uh, oat fiber, you know, chicken stock, uh, you know, Water, peas, bacon, cured with water, salt, sugar, sodium, phosphate, sodium, erythropate. Um, <laughs> yep, sure. Sodium nitrate. Like, all right, cool. Uh, cream, modified cornstarch. Okay, there's a lot of starches happening in yeah, here. Yeah, there is a lot. A lot of starches. But, I mean, other than that, soybean oil salt butter like these are a lot of fun basic things that like you could actually look at those ingredients and be like i could probably make that at home yeah what you absolutely could a lot of it is you know the curing process they use some stuff but a lot of it is like things you recognize the names at least because that's Mm -hmm. that's one thing they often say is like if you look at an ingredients list and you're like i don't know what any of this these words are that might be kind of a a red flag. Um, so it does seem like it's made with, you know, quote unquote, real ingredients. Um, yeah. Which is good. Uh, other than that, like a lot of things that you described, I absolutely do agree with, you know, um, gummy pasta, the plate, like the seasoned content was decent. The lack of chicken, but the chicken was actually moist yeah. for what was in there. The peas was awesome. Um, the bacon wasn't, you know, as relevant as I would have liked it to be. Yeah. But that's also because I really like bacon. So I'm, <laughs> you know, 
I feel like as we keep doing this, we might start to notice patterns of things that are better frozen. Um, mm-hmm. Because so, and and this is a little off topic, but like I've started to notice a they've and they've been around for a while, but to be more, I've started to see more like sandwiches, like frozen sandwiches that people are reheating. And I've had a couple of them and that just doesn't seem like a thing that that technology is good for. (laughs) Uh, I've seen like the panini ones and I haven't tried them. um, Mostly because I, I'm not a big fan of reheating bread. That's what I'm saying. In the microwave. Yeah. It It gets like weirdly gross. Um, Even like some of the, the frozen, like, you know, French bread pizzas that technically you should probably put in like a toaster oven, not a, microwave oven <laughs> so this with the cream and uh, and noodles is just it's a tough ask i think it, i i think it is too um i will say so i don't think we actually gave our scale system last time we're gonna be rating, oh. we're gonna be rating things on uh one to five sporks uh yes. just because i like they're funny um I, it's the it's like i in school they're like this is the stupidest instrument ever i'm like this is the best instrument ever <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I think I'm going to give this three, three sporks is my, my rating for it. Three, three out of five. Yeah. Three out of five. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I I actually feel the same. I, I would give it a three as well. Like, I mean, it's, it's definitely better than like an average, but it definitely could use like some improvements and like a bit more tweaking. They would like, you know, won't be bad. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Um, I think that's going to do it for us this, uh, well, this week, this episode. <laughs> still haven't exactly figured out our schedule, but we will. Uh, yeah. And uh, do you have anything else you wanted to bring up before we sign off for the week? I would actually like to leave a question for oh. people. I mean, uh, if if you want to respond through Twitter or through uh, the Facebook page, yeah. um, just what is your what is your go to grocery store? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. it's very regional. Like a lot of different- it is, yeah. and like I mean, I don't have a Harris Teeter in Florida. Yeah. But we had them in North Carolina, and you have them in South Carolina. We have Harris Teeter so, and Publix, which is kind of the... We, we do have the Publix. The, Publix originally started here in Florida. Right. I, I, I do know that. Um, also, there is a Winn-Dixie that is, like, right down the street from me, and it's, like, stepping into a time portal, and it's a little scary. I got a Piggly Wiggly, and I feel vaguely uncomfortable when I go... <laughs> No offense to anybody who loves Piggly Wiggly. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so leave a comment of like, hey, uh, what state you're in or country or whatever, and the name of your favorite like marketplace or grocery store. Maybe a quick thing about why. Like, what do you think about it? I I go to two places specifically for my stuff. Um, Mine is uh, Aldi's. Yeah, because that place is super random and it's awesome. Um, Aldi's, and if they you haven't seen Aldi's. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a TJ Maxx for food. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's cool. I like it. Um, 
uh, they had a whole duck. I don't find whole duck no. at like a uh, um, uh, uh, a price point, yeah. like a, a cost point um, yeah. of what they're selling them there. That's if you cool. were to get like a whole duck at like say a regular grocery store, that's very like everybody grocery store it's good the price is going to be a bit higher because they're going to want to like have a uh uh i guess about 30 percent um you know the profit margin right yeah so their prices may be a bit higher than like wholesalers that is like aldi's right cool so Publix and aldi's are my my two places that i go to when i go grocery shopping I go to both or one of them just to yeah. be like, all right, well, yeah. I go to um, Harris Teeter, which is a nice grocery store that is sometimes charges too much, but they kind of make up for it by doing big sales on items they've overstocked. Um, <sighs> yes, I'll, I do miss I do miss Harris Teeter. Yeah, so sometimes, for instance, like like a twelve pack of soda is five bucks there which is more than it is anywhere else but whoops we got too many so it's buy two get three free like that kind of thing um so they're a little expensive but a lot of the times they will have really good deals and then the other one i often go to is costco because i have just any kind of like I ha- so I recently, and a lot, I understand a lot of people aren't in this situation, but we bought a freezer, a chest freezer in the garage, so I can now buy, you know, a, an insane amount of ground beef that I'll use forever, and it's a lot cheaper if I buy that much of it at once. So, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, let us know what your favorite grocery store is. That'd be cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, and come back next time. And I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it's going to be something <laughs> cool. And uh, <laughs> yes, keep sending in questions. We really appreciate that first one. And, and thanks for listening. And uh, we hope you come back next time. Uh, so thanks. for this Surviving Culinarian, I've been Zach. I'm Geneva. All right. I still haven't come up with the sign off. I need to do that. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.